Dog Days of Podcasting, Day 9. Today is Wednesday, August 12th, 2020. Yesterday was All About Viruses, Part 1. And since I have went long the last couple of days, I'm going to chop Part 2 up into two days itself. So there will be a Part 2 and a Part 3. So today is All About Viruses, Part 2. Some more on the characteristics of viruses. Unlike all other biological entities, which contain both DNA and RNA, some viruses, like poliovirus, have RNA genomes, and some, like herpes virus, have DNA genomes, just one or the other. Further, some viruses, like influenza virus, have single-stranded genomes, while other viruses, like smallpox, have double-stranded genomes. If you recall from your biology... Our cells have DNA, which is in the form of a double helix, double-stranded genome in our cells. Their structures, viral, virus structures and replication strategies are equally diverse. Viruses do, however, share a few features. First, they're generally quite small with a diameter of less than 200 nanometers, although there are some that are larger. Second, they can replicate only within a host cell. We talked about this already. Obligate parasites, right? Third, no known virus contains ribosomes. Uh, We briefly mentioned ribosomes yesterday. And if you recall, these are the cellular structures that convert RNA into proteins. By the way, ribosomes themselves are made up of a complex of RNA and proteins. Also, as a note, proteins are the real workers of life. They do pretty much everything. They aid in muscle contractions. They act as support structures, as transporters of other molecules, as receptors on cells, and they function as hormones, antibodies, enzymes, and everything else. They do all types of things. So they're really kind of the worker bees of life. DNA may be the, the, uh, the director of life, RNA, it converts the director, what the director says, into proteins, and the proteins go do all the work. How's that? I just made that up. Anyway, we touched on this also yesterday, but are viruses alive? Live entities generally do the following, grow, reproduce, maintain an internal homeostasis, respond to stimuli, carry out various metabolic processes, and evolve over time. Viruses do some of these things, and they do evolve actually very rapidly, but they do not carry out metabolic processes. So when you die, or when your cells die, or other mammals, or even plants and bacteria, when they die, this is one thing that happens. Metabolic processes slow and eventually stop. That is death. Viruses don't die this way, as I've already mentioned. They have no metabolic processes to slow down and stop. Instead, they just chemically decompose, just like a, something rots out in the sun or whatever. They just decompose. Viruses can't make proteins, and they can't make ATP, which is energy. They can only reproduce within a cell, so they are obligate intracellular, intracellular parasites. They seem to fall short of really being life. But then again, not everyone agrees with that. What about the origins of viruses? Where do they come from? Because of the great diversity among viruses, biologists 
have struggled with how to classify these entities and how to relate them to the conventional tree of life. Possible origins of viruses are the following. There's kind of three general categories. The progressive or escape hypothesis states that viruses arose from genetic elements elements that gain the ability to move between cells. So it's just genes, DNA, or RNA that somehow created a way to move between cells. Number two, the regressive or reduction hypothesis asserts that viruses are remnants of cellular organisms. In other words, they may have been previously free-living organisms that evolved, or maybe might think devolved, into parasites. Number three, the virus first hypothesis states that viruses predate or co-evolved with their current cellular hosts. Somewhat similarly stated, they may be precursors of life as we know it. So maybe they really came first. Anyway, those things, I think you have to kind of wrap your heads around all three of those distinctions if you want. A little bit more on how they replicate. Again, we touched on this, but here's some more detail on viral replication. Viral populations do not grow through cell division because they are acellular. Instead, they use the machinery and metabolism of a host cell to reproduce multiple copies of themselves, and they assemble in the cell. When infected, the host cell is forced to rapidly produce thousands of identical copies of the original virus. There are six basic stages in a virus's, quote, life cycle. Attachment, step one, attachment. It's a specific binding between a viral capsid and the specific receptors on the host cellular surface. For example, HIV infects a limited range of human leukocytes, which are white blood cells. Penetration follows attachment via, very, via various mechanisms, which I, I couldn't really understand, at least not uh, quickly. One mechanism is called fusion. You can kind of imagine what that means. And there are other mechanisms. Number three, uncoating is a process in which the viral capsid is removed. I assume if there's an envelope as well, remember, Viruses are genes with a capsid on top, and they may have an envelope on top of that. So taking off the envelope and the capsid is called uncoating. The capsid is the protective protein coating around the nucleic acid, DNA or RNA. The end result is the releasing of the free viral genomic nucleic acid, the free DNA or the free RNA. Whee! I'm free, I'm free. This brings to me, uh, to my mind, a question. How does this happen? How can the capsid be removed from the virus? Because the virus itself still can't do anything, right? It has not yet uh, expressed its own genes, which means the host cell has to assist. The host cell has to be the one that that takes the capsid off. In other words, the virus has managed to use what's already already in the host cell to make the host cell take off the capsid. And then the viral genes are released and then they can start now telling the cell what else to do. It's complicated to me. Uh, Number four, replication of viruses involves primarily multiplication of the genome, DNA or RNA, the viral genome. The details of this seem to me to be really complex. 
And again, I just couldn't understand it or understand it quickly enough. So in my mind, I kind of envisioned a bizarre circular process because the virus uses its own genes and its end goal is to make more of these same genes, okay? And that it's basically, it's, it, that's its only goal, all right? It's, a virus is not trying to make, for example, cell parts. It's not trying to make cell types. It's not trying to make bones or muscles or ligaments or skin or other tissues. It's not trying to make hormones or an immune system. Anything else that we associate with an organism, it's not trying to make any of that stuff. It does nothing but say, I'm going to reproduce myself, which is kind of interesting. Uh, I'm assuming that along the way, the viral DNA or RNA makes proteins, which again, in a circular fashion, do nothing but make more DNA or RNA. So it's really kind of weird. The only proteins the DNA, viral DNA or RNA make as standalone proteins for a purpose are those capsid proteins or the envelope proteins. It does have to make those, all right? But other than that, only proteins it's making are just uh, enzymes, catalysts to create more DNA and RNA. It, it really hurts my brain to think about it. Uh, step number five, assembly. The new viruses are assembled in the cell. Yet again, this seems complex because how does the capsid so you've got this capsid, which is a protein. It's floating around in the cell, right? Or and maybe even also an envelope. That capsid, well, first of all, the envelope, you can say, has to find the capsid. And then the capsid has to find the viral DNA or viral RNA and protect it. How does that happen? Do they just bump into each other randomly? Or again, is it using what's already in the host to get that to happen? Or are there viral genes that make that happen? It seems really complex to me. The whole, uh, quote, life cycle of replication to me seems amazingly complex and would be an incredibly fascinating field of study. I'm sure you can spend your whole life doing nothing but investigating one of these six steps. I have no doubt about it. That could be a, a lifetime of research. Anyway, we'll stop right there to chop this uh, 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 little, little part in half. Tomorrow, we will do part three. By the way, if you have any comments or questions, please let me know. I don't mean that in the sense like I can answer your questions because I'm smart, but anything at all, uh, let me know. My email is chemsmith1 at gmail.com, C-H-E-M, chem, chemsmith and the number one, all right, chemsmith1 gmail.com. Questions, comments, let me know. Or if you have suggestions for topics, I am only two or three days ahead of time on my planning. I have no idea how many episodes worth of material I have. I did not plan out 30 episodes. So I'm about two or three days ahead at any moment. And after that, uh, I have a vague idea of where I'm going, but that's it. So if you have a suggestion for a topic, I'll consider it. Otherwise, I'm just winging this as I go along. Okay, talk to you tomorrow.